Welcome to episode 3314 of the Survival Podcast. It is a Monday. We're going to be doing a listener feedback show today. I got a ton of topics, a lot of variation to talk about, though we will be hitting on automation and AI fairly hard today because that's what's really going on in the world that actually matters. We'll also be talking about cooking with sous vide. Uh, is it safe? I got, a, I got this question again, and so I'll answer it again. To the best of my ability, and uh, I, I always try to when people ask me about safe, so safer than what? Safer than what? Like um, we can't live as a uh, a society of uh, bubble wrapped individuals, in my opinion. We'll say more about that in a bit. Uh, we're going to talk about the fact that there's some flat earthers mad about me again because of something I said during my show last week uh, about 15 years of podcasting, and I'll tell you why it doesn't really have anything to do with Flat Earthers uh, as far as the subject that I'm going to breach. But it was the tone of this one particular comment about it, because I got like a, a handful of angry Flat Earther emails, but I got one comment on the blog. And the comment on the blog was basically that I owe it to people to not say things that will upset them so that they'll stick around so they can learn the things they need to learn from me. He didn't phrase it that way, but that's what he was saying. It's just, it was his particular uh, sacred cow that got, you know, the spear through the heart and that bothered him. Um, we'll talk a little bit about compost tea today. I'm going to talk about taking two AI tools, putting them together. I'm even, get, for those on the video of this, I'm even going to show it. I might break that little piece out as a short or so, not really a short, but an edited video or something. Uh, later on, because I think it's something that when people begin to see what you can really do with it, maybe it'll make sense. And we're going to talk about war on beef and meat in general today and what I really think is going on. And I'm going to tell you about a new docu-series that Ken Berry was part of. It might be worth checking out. And uh, just I, I want to have a, another discussion on this because I think this is only going to get worse. And I think it is imperative to the health of the planet that we don't let this lie be told without objection, without resistance, that we have to resist both in action uh, and, and in word and in deed, like all of it together. We have to actually participate. We actually have to make good dietary choices for ourselves. We have to be an example of how wrong they are, because I don't think it's that hard to prove. We'll do all of that more in just a minute. Before we do that, I want to get into uh, thanking our sponsors of the day real quick here. And remind you about them so you can check them out. Sponsor today, number one today, is John Pugliano with the Wealth Steading Podcast, where you can learn to grow your wealth like you're growing a garden. How awesome is that? John is one of us, too, guys. He's been a member of this community since about, it was either 2010 or 2011 that I met him in Salt Lake City at a prepper convention. And uh, we had a great conversation that first time. He kind of became part of the community at that point. And then, you know, a couple of years later, we have him on the show as a guest. Next thing you know, he's an expert council member. He's been to almost every workshop that we've ever done here at Nine Mile Farm. Not everyone, but almost everyone, probably 90%. He's going to be at the TSP 15-year anniversary. He is a ham radio operator. He is a prepper. And he is an excellent investment manager with a great podcast, again, called the Wealth Steading Podcast. 
available at wealthsteading.com. So if you're not already subscribed to John uh, and his podcast, please do so. And remember, his podcast, my podcast, everybody's podcast sounds better if you get over to Fountain FM and make sure you boost John because the boomer that he is, he still hasn't come all the way in on the Bitcoin train. But boy, he's been impacted by getting those uh, getting those boosts and streaming sats on Fountain to the point where he stopped objecting to it. That was pretty cool. Got That's how you get boomers on board with Bitcoin. You give them Bitcoin because boomers like to be given things. Anyway, John is really a giver too. Don't think that comment wrong. Next up, KnifeKits.com. These guys have been a sponsor of TSP for almost as long as there's been a TSP sponsorship program. They came on board the first year we rolled it out. They've never negotiated or wanted any special treatment. Like just, we're going to just stay a sponsor for life. Um, and I have had, you know, a lot of my sponsors, I've had some issues where I've had to get involved for customer service or something like that. They always fixed it. If they wouldn't have fixed it, they wouldn't be a sponsor anymore. I'd get rid of them. I have never had any, a single complaint about knife kits. And they have all the cool stuff to make knives. You should really check them out. I want to just, for the video audience, just give you a kind of an idea. The handle materials are kind of insane in what you can make knives out of to check out the china berry. I never thought of china berry as being a cool looking wood, but when you stain it like that, it sure is. Uh, lots of exotic materials, all kinds of stuff. You can even um, you can you can make uh, holsters and have all the Kydex stuff as well at KnifeKits.com. Uh, check them out today. And again, long term sponsor of the show, been with us since the day before forever. And uh, certainly have always done a, a, a great job for our audience. Because, again, to have a relationship with somebody that I guess is about 13 years old, 13 and a half years old, a, as a sponsor, and to have never heard from a single customer of that sponsor to say anything other than good stuff, that's insane. That almost doesn't make any sense except – well, you just know who you're dealing with when you deal with KnifeKits.com. Next up, real quick, I also want to let you guys know we, we put the tickets for sale last week, Friday, Thursday last week, um, for the 15-year anniversary. They've sold really fast, but we do still have some. That's kind of what I thought would happen. Uh, I think we have like 20-ish tickets left. So certainly anybody that wants to come can still come, but I have a feeling that won't last much longer. So if you'd like to join us for the 15-year anniversary celebration, come do so. Again, it's going to be at Pinstripes in the Clear Fork area of Fort Worth. It's a really cool place. Um, we're going to have a blast. We have a private bowling lounge rented. We have a great uh, overall event space. We've added a room to make sure everybody has good seating for when you're eating. There's a 90-minute buffet at this thing, and that buffet is burgers, ribs, chicken, and a ton of other stuff. The whole menu is published uh, right here. It is all you can eat, uh, and the deal we have with them is they just keep bringing food for 90 minutes. And I'm like, okay, well, you get to see what happens when you do that with preppers, especially carnivorous preppers. But they said not a problem, so we'll make it happen. Great bar, great area, too, so uh, do consider coming. And then... Something that's it's it's pretty sad uh, to to see someone that you care about going through something like this. But I want you guys to know, Jenny Hill has been a member of this community for years, probably close to a decade. And uh, I originally met Jenny through Nicole, and Nicole and Jenny are tight. And uh, she's been to several workshops here. She's been to a lot of Nicole's, deeply involved in our community, and she is dealing with. Uh, a, a form of leukemia. 
And the surgery that she's about to have is going to require her uh, to basically have her bone marrow extracted, cleaned up, then have, you know, I guess chemo, and then have that bone marrow put back in. And when you take somebody's marrow like that, you just basically kill their immune system. So this this poor gal, man, she's going to be in isolation for 90 days, 90 days after that, because you have to be in isolation because a, a minor infection while you're in that state can kill you. This is a very serious thing. But I want you guys to think about what it would be like for you if you couldn't do anything to earn money for 90 days at all. And then when you come out of that, you're going to be in a weakened state and have to still recover. And plus you needed time to get in and you got kids and you're a single parent and your job is you're a, a massage therapist. So while you probably make pretty good money while you're working, there is no income during this time. And so they're trying to raise about $10,000 to help Jenny through this time. Um, and there's actually a pretty active telegram group right now putting together a plan to kind of do like a telethon for Jenny or whatever. But if you guys could just contribute something, it would mean a lot to me. Uh, again, this is a good person who's been a good friend to our community and a good friend to many members of this community for a very long time. If you've been to workshops here, you've probably met her. If you've been to Nicole's workshops, you've definitely met her. Uh, she's also known online as Jenny Joy, and she is a joy to be around. So if we can help bring a little joy to Jenny's life, that would be a good thing. And I'd really appreciate it. I don't often ask you guys to to do things like this. I really don't. Um, but in in this case, it would it would mean a lot. It would mean a lot because she's just a great person who really is in one of those situations. Like it's just one of those things to understand. Like it could be you. It could be me. It could be any of us um, that end up in a situation like that. And you can go from top of the mountain to bottom of the valley so fast. And when you're in that valley, that's when you need to know that people care. All right. So let's dig into the show now. I want to start out. I want to give you three pieces of media that have come out this last five. The oldest one is like five days ago about robots, automation, and through inference, then some level of AI in the farming sector. And I'll, I'll start with letting you hear the very short, it's less than a minute video in this piece. And this will be one of those things. If you're listening to the audio, you don't need to come back and go completely through this video to find this section. There's a link in the audio notes where you can see this video because about the only thing in it that's really needs the video is the way the weeding machine is working around the plants. It's pretty cool, but I'll, I'll talk about how that in of itself is a limitation that requires a pattern in the planting to work. But let's go ahead and get this up on the screen and uh, I'll get this playing for you guys. And if I could get a report in the live stream, if there's any audio problems or if the audio is good, that would be great. So I can make sure that you guys can actually hear this because that's the whole point. Robots are coming to a farm near you. A new breed of robots will thin, weed, and eventually harvest fields. Using machine learning, scanners identify the vegetable and attack only the weeds. Eventually, farmers hope to teach robots to pick crops. But so far, nothing beats humans for doing what's ripe and ready to harvest. Farmers are already using semi-autonomous tractors. The tractors only need to be turned at the end of each row. 
With the nation's agricultural workforce aging, younger workers find higher paying jobs as robot operators more enticing than field work, farmers say. All right, I don't want that to roll into the next video there. Give me just a second. I want to get the next piece ready to go. But I want to start off with just a little, first of all, I really should have made sure the link to help out Jenny was in the video notes. I was in a, you know, Mondays are crazy for me, um, getting caught up after a weekend. So I didn't do that. It is in the audio notes for the show. I'll go back and retroactively add it, but I have it on the screen right now. It is at GoFundMe. Uh, but if you're in any of the social media that I, I, I post on, it's there. And if you get into our tele, if you're on the telegram channel, or group, I'm sorry, and you ask, there are plenty of people that are already helping that will be happy to provide the link to you if you want to go ahead and get it done right away. All right, so let's start off with, I want to go ahead back to just me, um, with the video we just watched and what you're really seeing there. This isn't so much a robot. This is what I would refer to as a semi-autonomous piece of equipment for a farm. It can't function on its own completely. And if you watch, those of you that saw the video, the, uh, the weeding implement that's weeding between the plants is just basically this little kind of stirrer. It's a pretty big piece of equipment for those that can't see the video, but it's like these little, little mechanisms go around the plants that are, that are you know, the, the, the crop plants. And they basically keep any any weeds from growing due to mechanical disturbance. But what they said there was basically it can go down a row and then it needs a person to turn it around, line it up in an X row and send it back. So it can't, it can't, it's not as sophisticated as a Roomba in some ways, right? Roomba vacuum figures things out on its own. Of course, if the Roomba runs into a wall, it didn't know it was there. It kind of maps it. And then it goes on and knows where that wall is from now on or knows where that object is. If you have a robotic piece of farm equipment that's the size of a giant tractor doing that, it's going to kill all your plants before it figures things out. So you, it's destructive in that way. So this is mechanical disturbance weeding is all that's really going on here. But it is interesting. And it is like every single thing is like that. We now have deployed I want you to make sure you understand this. Deployed active taxi services that are running and operational that you can actually pay for a ride. And some of the test places it's being done are places like Austin, where you can summon a car like an Uber with an app on your phone. Car pulls up. You get in the back, and the car takes you where you need to go. Now, it has limited service areas and stuff, but when we started talking about this 10 years ago and people told me I was crazy, what we had were cars that were semi-autonomous. Like the Subaru I used to own was semi-autonomous and that I can get on the road, I can set the speed limit, it has a radar detection of the vehicle in front, and I can set the back, like how far back I wanted to stay, and it will stay between the lines on a road. So once I get it going, but it also was like, hey, stupid, you got your hands off the wheel, don't expect me to do this for you, it would beep at you and stuff like that. But it was a semi-autonomous vehicle. Now we have full-on 100% um drive themselves. They are summoned, pick you up, drop you off, and go on to the next person. This type of farm equipment is going to go through a similar path. But right now, what you noticed is those those plants, and they look like some sort of brassia, were all planted at a very specific distance setting. Now, for row cropping, that's fine because that's what happens. 
Yeah. You're going to do that anyway. But that's how that machine's doing that. It's not actually going, ooh, look at the little plant I don't want to hurt. It's measuring distance and time and velocity. And it's doing what's pre-programmed in it. And I, I imagine you'd have like multiple settings. So when you send it down a row of onions that were planted to a specific pattern, you'd probably push a button. Probably It's probably going to get to be like idiocracy level stuff where the guy goes to the hospital. And you remember Luke, Luke's character, he's at the hospital not sure. Right. And he he's they're like, well, what's wrong with you? And he's t- trying to explain. And the, the girl is confused and she has a thing. that looks like a cash register with to check them in at. And it's like a different picture. And one's like a the lady dropping a baby out. Another one's like a guy holding his head with electric around it to symbolize it hurts. It's probably going to be something like that. And I would imagine they would even have different patterns for even the same thing. So a high density pattern, a loaded. So it's it's an interesting thing. But it's just really kind of a first step. But if you really want to know what the future is, financial projections are something else you should look at. So I want to bring this one up. There's no video in there. I just want to talk about it with you real quick. So this is on Yahoo Finance. And understand, this is basically a press release being reprinted by a press organization if Yahoo Finance is a real press organization. So the... Vision Gain is the company that's putting this out, and this is as much to get you to pay attention to them as it is to say something important about the industry. But Vision Gain is a a reasonably accurate forecasting company when it comes to financial projections. They're not, you know, Joe Spooty's financial projections or something like that. Well, I haven't dropped a Joe Spooty in a long time. A long time. Joe Spooty. My dad used to say that. I'm not even sure if he's the one that created it, but it was like, like basically like Wiley Coyote meets Acme meets the bargain basement brand, Joe Spooty, right? Um, anyway, real quick, as I'm doing this, I did pick up on one question already. But if you guys have questions for me, please, please make sure the first couple letters or couple words in it are all caps so that I can get them uh, marked for follow up. Because when I'm doing this alone, it's a totally different situation than when I have a guest and I can multitask a little bit better. So agricultural robots market is projected to grow by a CAGR of 25.3%. percent. Um, what I thought was interesting is I went and I asked ChatGPT, which will come up later with the little exercise that we're going to do together. If I had $100,000... And I had a 24% uh, CAGR for 10 years. What would my my return of investment look like? And my 100 grand would be worth 648,000 in 10 years. That's the kind of growth that they're talking. Now, before you run out thinking you're John Pugliano and you're going to go out and you're going to uh, just invest in the sector and make that kind of a return, within the sector, you're going to have companies that are blowing it away and way past that if the if the forecast is right. And you're going to have companies that lose their ass. In fact, you're going to have way more companies that lose than companies that win. So I'm not saying that because, like, here's an investment opportunity. I'm saying that to give you a, a, a an understanding that we're talking about a market that's already, like, $20 billion or $12 billion. I don't remember the number now, and I closed that tab, unfortunately. Um, but in the billions of dollars that's going to grow at that rate. That, that's a massive year-over-year increase over a decade. And that's a massive impact on the entire agriculture industry. 
But the one thing you probably heard today that gives you the impression that, well, it's not really, it's not really ready yet, and it's not going to be anytime soon, was in the first piece when the lady said, you know, nothing is better than humans when it comes to figuring out what's ripe, when to pick it, stuff like that. Well, it depends. And again, first steps followed by baby steps, followed by jogging, followed by running, followed by full sprint. That's how technology develops. So one place that it would be really easy to teach robotics and AI working together to do the picking is a place where the ripe is obvious. Well, what's more obviously ripe than a bright red, delicious strawberry? So again, these articles are all published within the last five days. And I have links to all of them in the show notes today. Well, there's this operation in New Jersey. I've got the article on the screen for the people in the video right now. It's a hydroponics operation. Indoor vertical farm. Again, in operating in New Jersey. If you can make a profit in New Jersey, God bless you, because that, that, that state does everything they can to make business unfriendly. Right? But they're, they've developed robot technology to pick the strawberries. So you eliminate the need for somebody to go in here and pick these strawberries. And the reason I wanted to cover this is, like usual, the media is always behind when it comes to reporting things like this, okay? They're never caught up. That's why you have one media entity saying, oh, well, you know, we, it can't pick food yet. Well, another media entity is like, hey, look at it picking food here. Right. And there is a completely uh, divested group of tech here. Like the the tech that's going to pick these strawberries would not be able to go back through. And assuming that was broccoli in the other video, which it might have been uh, cut broccoli heads. That's that's a that's a different thing. And there's a difference between having uh, having mechanical harvesting of something and having a mechanical harvester that is autonomous or semi-autonomous. Right. But, but what's really interesting here to me is this is a perfect use case for the combination of automation and AI, agriculture as a whole. And, and let's talk a little bit about why that's the case, why this is really like kind of one of the sweet spots for this technology to roll out. First and foremost, large agricultural operations, and I'm talking anything from a, a half acre even market garden up to 60,000 acres of commercial farming is going to be laid out in a, in a pattern. And that pattern can be adapted and adjusted to meet the needs of the technology if necessary, if the technology can't adapt to the pattern that you're doing there. A big project that I did with Mark Shepard that was on some ag land that was a buffer around an Alcoa facility, the way we designed it was all these great big mass trees and then open grazing lanes, but between the alleys, we would also we also had rows of things like aronia and elderberry, which are medicinals that can be dumped into a commodity market. And because this had to be that way, well, you'd think that aronia or you know elderberry or something would need people to go out there and pick it. That's not like something you just run a combine. Well, there's a tool called the straddle harvester, and it. It harvests product and, and sorts product like this stuff's old. It's existed forever. All you have to do is automate the process 
And if you have something where the rows are spaced specifically, let's say 18 feet, then creating the ability for that piece of equipment to turn around and go back is not that hard. So you have a pattern-based system which is already designed for automation and therefore friendly to robotics. Yes, um, Green Country says blueberries too. Absolutely. Blueberries, you can have harvest with a straddle harvester, right? There's a lot of stuff we can harvest with, with straddle harvesters. Now we just need an autonomous straddle harvester. So you got that. The next thing is, this is not a career that people try really hard to get into. Now, I know a lot of you guys fancy yourself small farmers. You like the idea of ag. Some of you would rather farm than whatever you're doing. You just haven't figured out how to do it yet. But not this kind of farming. Like mass production farming, even the people that want to do it and the people that are doing it successfully will tell you one of the hardest things they have if they're going to grow to a certain size is keeping enough employees. It's hard work. And in the large scale, it is one of the most abusive uh, things on human labor that there is. If you if you're eating organic carrots because you think they're better for you and they're coming from Baja, Mexico, the food you're eating is produced by people that are probably treated as bad as slaves were in the antebellum uh, period uh, of the United States, except that they, they can leave. That's about, that's about as far as quality of life, that's the only thing they have is they can leave. And there's some people that are triggered that I said that. But, okay, go look and see how those people are being treated before you get all upset about it. So it's an abusive market that always has labor shortages in it. It's based on patterns. It also is a massive market. Who doesn't eat? So there's a it's a product that you you can always sell somewhere. Food is a product you can always sell, sell somewhere. And if you have an automated autonomous workforce doing much of your labor, if not all of it, you can literally throttle production. You could give the AI at the center of a system a projection and say, we only want to grow this much. That's how much we know we can sell for top dollar. Or we need to grow this much to make sure X percentage of our stuff is premium. So this is set up for automation because it was designed for automation so long ago that we didn't even think of it as an automation now. And what I mean by that is when we came up with the first mechanical combines that were pulled by a horse. So this is a dude with basically an a, 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 a agricultural specific horse and buggy system with a combine on it during the Edwardian period of the UK, where some of this equipment was first rolled out, um, you wouldn't think of that as automation. But trust me, the people that were living back then did. The guy who used to go out there with a freaking scythe and scythe that shit looked at that as a job killer and a, and a source of automation. And it allowed one person to do the work of many. And that's, that's, that's why I'll often say... As radical as everything that's happening is, it's not new. We've done this before, and we will do it again at new levels. So what I see here is farming becoming even more high-tech than it is, but it's all being done to produce commodity crops that are basically shit nutrition. But that's what people want. And by the way, if we're going to go to space, right, we can't have farmers in space. We can have farming robots running hydro systems in space, which is what they're going to do. And it's kind of in some ways, um, it's already in some ways like a reverse 
of what the space program was. A lot of people think the space program was so we could go learn about space because they told me that in school. And you, you younger people like, and I remember when they took Pluto away and said, I want a planet anymore. And then they couldn't make their mind up on it. Right. And they think that's what the space program was about the space. All right. I'm back. Um, we had the internet take a dump. So I am now tethered to my iPhone and we'll see how it goes from there. If I could get a report from the people still hanging out in the live stream uh, on how things are going, whether you can hear me, see me, everything is there. It looks like I am back and I'm a little bit lost about where I was um, as far as uh, what we we're talking about. I know we were still talking about uh, the ag stuff for those on the uh, on the audio only. That's that's the disruption, though. I'll take out the long uh, several minutes of me getting reconnected here and, and running back into this stream. Anyway, my, my, my biggest point on this is this is coming hard to the ag sector. Oh, I was talking about the relationship to how the space program was about ICBMs. Maybe that's why they cut my Internet access. I was saying things that are too true. And it was really about developing ICBMs. A lot of what's going on now with some of this ag development, especially when you get into hydro and all, figure it out on Earth so you can do it on the moon and eventually interstellar your interplanetary space on the way to Mars or on Mars or even larger space station installations, et cetera. So it's kind of a reversal of that, because if you think that the space program of the 50s, 60s and early 70s was really about we just want to go to space because we're explorers, then, then you really don't understand what was going on. Right. You really don't understand what was going on. Um, but, yeah, we're looking at a, a compounded annual growth rate of 24 and some points, right? Like, it doesn't really matter at that point. Once you're over, like, a 24% growth, you're into uh, a period of massive, massive growth. Uh, next up, though, I want to switch gears because, you know, when you think that California – has done everything that it can to be as stupid as it possibly can and chase as much business away as it possibly can, you're always wrong when you think this is it. They can't go any further. They can't ruin their own economy any further. There's nothing they could do to be worse than they are now. You'd be wrong. Now, how do you feel about a 32-hour work week? I think a 32-hour work week is a fantastic idea. I think there's a lot of companies that could go to a 32-hour work week. And I think there's a lot of companies that could go to a 32-hour work week and maybe not offer full-time pay, i.e. based on 40 hours, but they could go to that and they could actually pay benefits and things like that. Well, California doesn't believe in market-solving problems. They believe the government solves problems. Now, Here's what I've learned in my years on this planet. When government attempts to solve a problem, they never actually solve the problem. They always make the problem worse, and they often create new problems. So you're left with the old problem, which is now worse in some way, right? And then you create all these new problems. But I'm actually okay with states doing it. I'm okay with individual lowercase s states doing it if we were to especially return to true federalism in this country, the United States, for those of them international listeners. 
the federal government of this country. Now, I, before anybody wants to pull my anarchist card away, I'm, I'm speaking from the standpoint of less bad, not necessarily good, right? Because less bad is what we had, and it always results in greater tyranny eventually. But we would have for generations a better country if we went back to a federalist mindset, which is that the federal government has very limited power and authority in the lives of the average person. The average person should only notice the federal government uh, when the federal government intervenes in something that is based on interstate commerce with a problem, okay, and a problem that actually both states think need to be resolved, not the federal government thinks need to be resolved, or if they actually went to D.C. and committed a crime there, because then you're going to face federal law enforcement, you're on federal jurisdiction land, or if there is some sort of conflict with another country outside of our borders. That's the federal government's job. And, and they really shouldn't be in your life much in any other way. If Even if you're dealing with onerous building restrictions, that should be state level. That should be Utah decides how it handles building uh, restrictions, and Florida decides how it does in California. And, and that's, that's true federalism. And it, the reason that works is when one state does something really stupid in a republic that you as an individual or a business owner or both can pick up and move. And there's no real hindrance to moving other than if you have a physical location, yeah, you're going to lose that physical location. But it has worked really well. And we've talked about how much it's worked for places like Florida and Texas in recent times. Let me go ahead and play this where it's just over a minute long. And it is about California's latest plan for a 32 hour work week, not to incentivize it, but to mandate it because there's nothing the government of California likes more than a good old mandate. California lawmakers want to redefine overtime by cutting the work week to just four days. The bill would mandate overtime pay for anyone who works more than 32 hours a week, impacting 6,200 employers in the state. Our next guest is a former Californian who moved his company down to Texas. Rex founder and CEO Peter Rex joins us now to react. Good morning. Good morning, Angela. Good morning. What's your reaction to this? Would your company be able to survive if you told your, your workers that you're only going to work 30, what is it, 32 hours a week? Well, we might survive, but we're certainly not going to, we're not going to be competitive. We're not going to flourish. But my, my main reaction is I'm actually happy about this because it's another absurd, sort of ridiculous thing that California is doing here. That's going to be good for America and good for the free world because California, as a result, is going to continue to lose relative strength and power and competitiveness as an economy. And people are going to continue to move out because business leaders like myself are going to move out because this, these are types of reasons why I moved out. You know, I built a billion dollar company and now I'm launching 10 technology startups and I'm doing it out of Texas instead of on the West Coast. And it's largely for reasons like this. All right, guys. So let, let's unpack that because one of the things I like about this is that nothing shows more pink slips the folly, in the tech sector LinkedIn and the folly of socialism like a republic. Nothing. Nothing at all shows you how much a failure socialism is like a republic does. You know, you can look back at things like the Soviet Union and all, and you can say, well, there's a failure of socialism, but you're talking about a nation versus other nations in a global economy and you're also talking about a place that wasn't really easy for like a company that was doing business in St. Petersburg to easily relocate to, let's say, something a little less socialist like, oh, 
I don't know, somewhere in Europe that's not completely socialist or wasn't at the time, Sweden, uh, or to the United States. Like that wasn't an easy move. Within and and then you're looking at people that live entirely different lives than each other. Living in the Soviet Union in 1980 was very different from living anywhere in the United States. While living anywhere in the United States in 1980 was dramatically similar. And this is what I mean by dramatically similar. Is is different as a state like Oregon is from Florida or Pennsylvania is from Kentucky or Kentucky is from New Mexico. I'm sure most of you have traveled. Right. You didn't need a passport to go to New Mexico. You didn't need a passport to go to Florida. You didn't need a passport to go to Pennsylvania. You didn't need anything. And if you wanted to move your business and entity from one of those states to another, it was basically filing some paperwork. That was it. And it, it was no hurdle to do that. But even just a visit, if you go to Florida and you've never been to Florida before, you pull up to a gas station, you know what to do. You have to talk to somebody at the gas station, you know how to talk to them. You need to go to a doctor. It's not that hard to find. You see what I'm saying? Like everybody and people make fairly similar incomes, though there are, you know, obviously somebody paid to work in New York City is paid better than somebody that's working, let's say, in, in the coal region of Pennsylvania. There's a higher labor market. But overall, there's a lot of synergy there. And so when one state is really stupid with socialism and another state isn't, it is whether a person wants to see it or not, it is painfully obvious what's going on. It is painfully obvious that there there really is um, an issue with the socialism because you can see it fail. You can see it fail. And I'm sorry, I'm trying to get some things fixed. So if I sound a little bit off, it's because I'm multitasking. And that is, as I've said before, a bit hard to do when I am by myself. So I had to get a page that went away back up for you that we had during the, the outage. Anyway, you can see it blatantly. And, and the, the important lesson is that they know it too. They know it too. They use the same philosophy for socialism as they do for all their stuff, like the clot shot, right? It only works if everybody does it. That's not how you actually prove a concept works. What you mean when you say it only works if everybody does it is since you have nothing to compare it to, we'll just tell you it would be worse and you have to believe us. Because these states like California, like Washington, like Illinois, like New York, they do the same thing, even though they're governments, they do the exact same thing that giant corporations do. They beg Washington to defend their positions by equalizing the playing field, by reducing federalism. One of the reasons that people lost their minds, especially these people in these socialist states that run these socialist states, lost their minds during the Trump administration with his tax cuts were the, 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 the salt limits, which is basically a way of saying you don't get the same ability to deduct things like your state property tax from your federal income tax return. And this hit mostly high net worth people paying very large amounts of property tax in very expensive states. And they were just creating a delusion for themselves anyway. They, they, they really didn't end up that much more money out of pocket. But they had this feeling that, well, it's better to keep my money here in my state than have it go to Washington. But this is completely anti-federalist. This idea that New York can tax the shit out of its citizens 
and then say, but, you know, you, you don't have to pay as much in federal tax. You, those two things shouldn't touch each other. Now, you know me. I say there would be no tax at all. I, I, I believe that every dollar you pay in tax was stolen from you. How would we survive? Not what we're talking about. I'm just going on where I, but I'm like, if we're going to do this, then there's certain rules that we should follow within this system that they'll never follow, but we should. And so they scream and they cry to daddy federal government to protect daddy state government from all these mean state governments that won't get on board with all the crap, you know? Um, it's, it's just a typical thing. And here comes California again, proving it to be so. So I want you to think about this. If you live in California and you're not thinking past tomorrow, which you probably would have left California if you were, because what's past tomorrow in California is always worse than what was yesterday. You might think, oh, this is good. My evil corporation that pays me will have to pay me to work 32 hours a week. And if they want me to work Friday, they'll have to pay me overtime. Do you know what a corporation that can't figure out how to leave California is going to do in this scenario? They're going to hire more people and cut everybody's hours. And they'll run an alternating shift sequence. It's not like it's that hard to do. You could probably go to ChatGPT right now and say, I have 100 people working 40 hours a week. I need to keep everybody's hours under 32 hours. Exactly how many people do I have to hire? Here's the hours I'm open what does the sequence look like to keep everybody working 32 hours a week? Who's off when? And it could give you an answer in five minutes. Actually, if you could probably take five minutes to formulate the problem and it'd give you an answer in about 10 seconds. So it's not hard to figure out. If you don't think these companies are going to do that, then you're crazy. Now, they're either going to do that or if they're woke and they're getting lots of free money from the government, they might do the thing California wants for a while anyway. But they're going to be extremely inefficient, which they already are operating out of California. They're going to have a lot of people. They're just not going to work 40 hours. They're not going to, It's not like this is what people think when they hear this. Well, I'll still work 40 hours. They need me and I'll get more money. That's not going to happen either. And so you're going to have companies that are closed on Fridays. Right. OK. And a lot of those companies will be companies that you would want to go to while you're off on your extra day off. And they're not going to be there because they can't afford to put people in those seats. Now, the other thing that's going to happen is just what you heard from that entrepreneur there. I think I'm going to just go to Texas like Elon did. Right. And I'm going to take my business there and I'm going to start building everything I have in a right to work state where unions don't have more power than government, where I can fire somebody tomorrow if I want to, and the only thing that it might negative effect on me is what I pay for workman's comp. And I don't have to explain why I fired them. I can hire you in the state of Texas, and I can at any time go, you know what, I don't want you anymore, goodbye. And there's not shit you can do about it. You know, there isn't anything. You can't sue me over it. Now, if you can prove I did it for some... um malicious illegal reason that's different that's a different issue but if i legitimately just say you know what you're not keeping up with the workload and i'm tired of trying to get you there here's your severance bye go see hr there's nothing for you to do my life doesn't change as an entrepreneur my business doesn't get derailed i don't end up paying you for the next two years just to get rid of you 
it's a real easy environment to work in. And you're going to see more and more of this. You're going to see a lot of these states. I mean, a lot of these states that are taking this approach continue to grow. And this is the problem, though. People say, Jack, you keep encouraging this. And all those people from California, they're going to come there in California, your Texas. The people that come here from California are never the problem. They aren't. They are. I mean, there might be one out of a thousand that got relocated, had no choice, came to Texas begrudgingly, went to Austin because it was the closest thing that they could find to what they wanted. And they're here because they have to be. That's a very small number. The people who say I've had enough of this shit and leave, they generally are more to the right than the people who were born here. Because that's why they came. But when you grow, your cities grow. When your cities grow, your number of leftists and liberals grow. Because I've talked about this before. The cities are liberal leftist factories. You take kids like my niece and nephew. Grew up in a very conservative home. Cop for a dad, teacher for a mom. Right? Stereotypical. Went to church every Sunday. Youth groups, mission trips. Full on. 100%. Dad has never voted for anybody but a conservative in his life, and neither has mom. Pro Second Amendment. The school teacher doesn't want guns in schools because they're dangerous, not understanding that that doesn't actually help. But other than that, I mean, these people are full on conservatives. There are two kids, one about to graduate from uh, Texas A&M. The other one now has a law degree in environmental law, working for an appellate federal judge, flaming liberals. Why? Because the school system and the, and the cities combine together. And when you add the education system, you have liberal factories. When your state grows, your cities grow. When your cities grow, your number of liberals grow. And so the future looks not as bright as I think sometimes people think I say. As far as this federalism working out, because what happens is you get less and less difference between the states. And that idea of 50, uh, 50 um, laboratories of liberty gets squashed. And so, unfortunately, that's right. Let, let's turn a corner, though. And I damn, I hate getting disrupted, like having that outage. That sucked. Um, let's talk about something else. I got an email today from somebody. And they said, Jack, do you have any information or any source it says it's safe to cook sous vide food in a bag that's made out of plastic. Will it kill us? And the person wasn't that harsh on it. I was just playing around a little bit, having a little fun. Okay, so the, the, if you start Googling that, you'll find everything from there's absolutely positively nothing to worry about if you use a food-grade bag to all plastic is toxic, and anybody that lets talk, plastic touch their body or their food while they're Typing on a computer keyboard made of plastic, by the way, um, is going to die soon, right? Here's the reality. The temperatures we cook sous vide at are not that high to begin with. And so, obviously, you'd want to use something that's food-grade and BPA-free, okay? So, if you're using good-quality vacuum sealer bags or uh, chamber vac bags, either one, they're going to be that. They're going to be that. You know, you're going to probably cook your steaks at like 135 to 140 degrees, any higher than that. You're kind of a psychopath that wants to ruin beef. So I'm, I'm not too worried about that. The other side of always say safer than what? 
safer than driving my car? What are all the other things I do that pose greater risk to me than there might be a molecule of plastic in my food, which is probably more plastic in the food supply today than you'll ever get from a plastic bag you would cook it in from microplastics and all of that. What, how, how much at risk am I breathing the air? Taking a shower, like I think the risk is incredibly minimal to begin with. I would not use any sort of BPA plastic, and I would not use an inferior quality plastic at all with my food. I wouldn't try to use, I wouldn't use Ziploc bags. And even though they are food grade, they're very thin, and they have a tendency to rupture when used for sous vide. If that's not all good enough for you, if you need to feel safe, then silicon is freaking safe. We make cookware out of silicon. Silicon's ready to go into an oven at 400 degrees and make a muffin, right? Silicon's about as safe as it gets. I have a link in the show notes today for this product. This Of the products that are out there, this is one of the better ones. It comes with a the, – the one I'm recommending comes with a manual pump. They are uh, zip seal silicon bags of various sizes. They have a little one-way valve on them. You put that pump there, and you instead of pumping up, you're sucking out. And you suck them out, and that forms around your meat, and you throw your meat in there, and you're cooking in silicon. They're reusable. I have not used them myself, but I've talked to people that use them. And of the people that have used them, they said they get plenty of uses, so they're not expensive when you look at how many bags you get for 22 bucks plus the pump, and you can buy just the bags in various sizes. So if you really insist that it's highly dangerous, and that's your, that's your holdup, that's why you haven't allowed yourself the pleasure, and I do mean it's a pleasure, um, of sous vide cooking yet because you're worried about plastic. You can have another way, and these are inexpensive enough especially for those of you that aren't me, that you don't have three deep freezers completely stocked at all times. Um, if you have a normal freezer or even a small chest freezer, it wouldn't be a big stretch to get enough bags to have all your food stored in this so that you could, because that's my other thing, right? The same person that says, well, you know, you're going to sous vide that and you're going to get plastic poisoning and you're going to have plastic, you know, butthole disease or something. Um, that same person is um, probably storing their food in that in the freezer for months on end. And again, I get the heat thing, but you, we have to again go back to the fact that cooking a steak, cooking a pork chop, something like that, is generally a fairly low temperature uh, rating. There's, I mean, you, you got to realize there's people afraid of everything, and there's people that all they do is spread fear. Right. All they do is spread fear and they spread fear because they have nothing better to do <laughs> or they want attention. And so there's people that are literally out there saying you're going to get uh, what is it? Botulism from sous vide food Now you can't point to a single person who ever cooked sous vide and ended up in the hospital or dead from botulism poisoning. But yet it's still a thing. So I'm just I'm just not worried. But if you are. The silicon approach is a good way to go. The other thing about it, though, it is a if you don't have a high quality vacuum sealer or a high quality chamber vac, it's a pretty good way to store your food. They're pretty robust. That's pretty good at preventing freezer burn. I think maybe I need to actually buy a set of those to trial them myself instead of just 
being told about them by others using them. And then I need to uh, get those up on TSPAS because I'm not putting them on TSPAS until I actually have them in my hands. Um, there are some things that I will put up there that I didn't need, so I didn't buy. But then there are things I've – but those things are things like my friend or, you know, contact that has them. They're either extremely trusted uh, or they're extremely trusted and they're close enough that I can go touch it, look at it, see it, or when they come over, say, hey, bring it with you. Otherwise, I don't – I, I, I don't I don't recommend things on TSPATS. If it goes on my site, you guys know how that works. So next up, I want to talk about a flat earther and getting mad at me. And I really want to it's this is not about flat earth. This is about what do I owe you as the podcaster you love or love to hate either way. I don't owe you not upsetting you. I don't owe you not saying things that will make you not listen to me anymore if you want to. I don't you owe you any of that shit. I don't owe you holding your hand to make you comfortable, even when I'm disagreeing with you, right? What I owe the audience after 15 years of doing this now is to always be the person I've been, the person you subscribe to, the person you listen to, the person you want to hear from. If you tire of that, you have every right to go away and go listen to somebody else, right? It would be a tremendous disservice for me to think somebody is an idiot, but say, well, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So let's say that their idea has merit and we should at least consider it, even if we disagree. If I actually believe the person is an idiot. And when I have differences of opinions with people and Jason, thank you for the huge $50 super chat. Thank you so much for that. Um, but if I really believe that you're an idiot, I actually owe it not to you to tell you you're an idiot. Or a particular group, I don't owe it to them to tell them they're an idiot. I owe it to everybody else who expects that Jack Spirico, based on 15 years of his history, when he thinks somebody's an idiot, is not afraid to use the word idiot or moron or stupid or dumbass or, in some instances, dumb fuck. That's what I owe you. I don't owe you any more than that. I owe you to be honest with you. So this, I owe, I owe you to, to, if I'm wrong, come back and say, I figured out that I was wrong. And I'm sorry. And here's the corrected information. I was doing the best that I can. I owe it to you to make sure I produce a show of the quality you've come to expect. I owe you that for as long as I'm going to say the podcast is here. I owe it to you to be the podcaster that you've come to expect. And I think that's a completely reasonable thing for you to expect from me. I do not in any way. Oh, it's you, because this is the way this guy's comment came off. Well, you might say that. You might even be right. But maybe they need to learn other things from you. And because you said something that hurt their little butthole and they ran away, you denied them the right to learn from you. Sounds like a flat earther to me. It sounds like flat earther logic. But this is the interesting thing about these people that do this shit. They always have a sacred cow. And I've never heard from this person ever, not that I can recall. Now, I've been doing it 15 years. Maybe he's made comments before. Maybe I've even interacted. I don't remember this guy. And I really think this is his – I know on the blog it is the first comment he has ever made using the email address he used when he made the comment. Nobody sees your email, but I do when you make a comment, right? You have to put an email address, and that's one way I identify people so I can run spam filtering. And so I, I know he's never made a comment on the blog. And I just bet if I had said some other group of people were morons and idiots, because I do it all the time, he would have thought it was fine. 
He would have never said, well, I can't believe you said leftists are morons. What if a leftist needs to learn something from Jack Spierko? And they don't stick around because you upset their little butthole. He 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 wouldn't have said that, because if he did if he would have, unless it just happened to be the first episode he ever listened to, which I doubt. I really doubt that. He's probably heard it every week for as long. If he's listened for 10 years, he's probably heard it about 50 times a year for 10 years. That's 500 times. He's heard me refer to somebody as an idiot or a moron, and it was totally okay. He said he doesn't care if the earth is round or spherical or flat or acute. Clearly, he does, because if he didn't, that little comment wouldn't have triggered him. Now, again, I think if you believe the earth is flat, you're a moron. And there's a better word for it than moron, and I'll use it here. Willfully ignorant. Monetized trolls, says Eka Mouse. Well, yeah. I have to put it together tomorrow. Let's do a flat earth sale on MSB or something like that. I'll, I'll, I'll think about that, Eka Mouse. We'll, we'll come back to you with something on that. That's the, I like monetizing trolls. I learned that from John Willis at SOE Tactical Gear. It provides me many of my fine shirts that you see me wearing, like this one today. Um, but yeah, I think you're, you're willfully ignorant. You've, you've chosen ignorance. And so even the objection is, is laughable as it is. Well, here's why it's pointless. Even it being a stupid injection objection, it's also logically flawed. So the way that I teach and the way that I overcome objections and the way that I handle, uh, trying to get people to understand things in a new way is all based on one real thing, logic. Now, logic, there's also facts and reason, okay? But logic requires those two things. So the keystone in anything that I teach on this show or anything that I uh, bring up on this show or anything, especially if it's controversial, like, well, biochar doesn't work. Well, here's why biochar works. It's always based on logic. So when a person has renounced logic, because to believe our earth is flat is to take about I mean, I could list 20 technologies right now that if, if the earth was flat, those technologies that do work wouldn't work, right? You've renounced logic. You've renounced logic. It's a conspiracy that goes back as long as humans have existed. And there's no leaks to prove it, you know, that it's, that it's just a conspiracy. Not one. Well, I know this guy, and he used to work for NASA, and he says it's all a scam. And then you research the dude. And you find out that, like, yeah, he worked for NASA. He was a janitor or some shit. Uh, and he's been on, you know, antipsychotic medication for most of his life. And he's off his meds. Um, it's, it, again, I just really wanted to, to zoom in on what do I owe you? Honesty, integrity, and to be the person that I've been for 15 years. And I don't owe anybody else anything else. And it's amazing to me the entitlement attitude that people have. To tell someone has been doing something. It's what, you know, this happened a lot in the early years. You need a bigger tent. You need to be like Ronald Reagan. You need to be more inclusive. Oh, dear God, go screw it. But it still pops up. It's amazing. What, what did you expect me to say? This, if the person actually tuned in again after being told to get over his butt hurt and go find something else to do, if you tune back, what did you expect me to say about a group of people that I find to be idiots? Did you expect did you expect that I would not do it to your little pet group when I don't even know you or anything about you, but I would like somehow clairvoyantly understand? No, 
That's not happening, guys. And I, I just wonder if there's anybody out there. Is there anybody out there listening right now that would be like, you know what? I really thought Jack wouldn't do that. I really thought Jack wouldn't say that. I really thought Jack would handle a group of people he thinks are morons with kid gloves. If anybody expect that from me, I would, uh, I, I'd, I'd love to, to hear from you and just expect that you might not like the response that you get, but it won't be malice. It'll just be my honest opinion again, which is what I think. And I think, you know, I'm saying I a lot in this discussion. This is not what I owe you to be the person that you've expected, to be honest with you, to have integrity, to say what I really think, to not tone down my words. I think that anybody that's podcasting owes you that, owes you that. Now, if they really are touchy-feely and that's what you're looking for, that's great. And they can owe you the same thing and you can get what you want from them. But I think any member of the media owes you that. And I think that's why podcasting is the hottest media thing on the planet today. It's hotter than everything else in media. When you look at the total – now, no individual podcaster, I guess, other than Rogan, is so big that that one person – you know, replaces a, a TV news channel or something. But collectively, people are tuning into podcasts over legacy media because, one, they actually get content that's not an advertisement every 37 seconds like radio is. But, two, they're, they're dealing with people that they feel they can relate to who are being honest with them. It's actually a free, it's an actual free market, at least for now, and it has been ever since it you know, was originally created. And uh, just look. Quick shout out here to Adam Curry, who really is the podfather. Who I don't wouldn't say single handedly created podcasting, but I, I would say that his contributions early on were so important that it may never have become a thing without him. Podcasting would probably not be called podcasting, and the closest thing we'd have is what you guys that are watching a video are using right now, which is like YouTube vlogging or something. But there are so many podcasters they don't do any video at all. And there's so many podcast consumers that even if their host puts video out, they never watch the video. I get probably 2%, 3% of my audience actually watches videos. So 90 plus percent of my audience is downloading audio files. And it's because podcasting really does cut through all the bullshit, cuts out all the middlemen. If you have thought about podcasting, go for it. Go for it. No one will, no one will make you successful, but no one can cause you to fail. And you can probably find a couple thousand people that resonate with you. And you can actually make an income on a few thousand people as a podcaster. I don't know if you'll make enough to do it full time, but you'll make enough to make it sustainable to keep doing it if you're smart about how you do it. But that's that's what I owe you. 220 Mind Mix says, um, I remember asking via email years back about a particular manner of speech. Jack explained how he thought about it and why he uses it. And I think that was plenty. Right. So it was probably about um, it was probably about profanity. By the way, if anybody's confused about what I promise, if you go to the survivalpodcast.com, go to the about tab. And when the drop down comes, if you select disclaimer and policies, it's the second policy put up without modification since September of 2009. So the way that it was written in 2009, September is the way that it's written today. It hasn't changed. And I owe it to you to do exactly what I've always done and what it says on that page. And I think every other podcaster owes it to you to do the same thing. I think most of them do. And every single member of the media owes it to you to do the same. And I think almost none of them do. 
Almost none of them do. And you can make excuses for them, but they could be podcasters if they wanted to be. If they're as good as they act like they are, if they're worth the giant paycheck that News Corp or CNN gives them, then they should be able to get out here and compete in this space with us and show us how good you are. Instead, all these do, assholes do, they call it a podcast, they repackage their bullshit, they have 20 engineers that work on it, they're paid a salary to do it, they're not competing with shit. They're not competing with anything. You want to be a podcaster, come out here, take off your kid gloves, put on the big boy gloves, and let's duke it out. And let's see who's better at content production. Nah, you guys will stay on your legacy media, and a lot of people keep listening to them, but thank you guys that don't, and you wouldn't want me to try to make you feel better about the way I'm criticizing something because you would know instantly that I was full of shit. You'd be like, I don't know what happened to Jack. Something's wrong. Guy had a stroke. Somebody's threatening him. He's, he's turned into a coward. Like that's how you, you would know something's up. If I was like, well, I don't want to make the people that think the earth is flat feel bad. You'd be like, is this, what's the, is this April fool's day? What's going on? Anyway, Moving on from there, I wanted to talk a little bit, and I want to show you guys, actually, the one that are on the video here, actually how to do something with AI today. And so what I, I need from somebody in the live stream is an idea for an AI-generated image, something, anything. Put it in all caps and uh, show me what you want me to show you. And I'm going to wait a little bit for that. And I'll tell you while we're waiting what I'm going to be using. I'm going to be using ChatGPT4. That's the paid upgrade version. Uh, when I use it, I'm also going to be using a, a, a plugin uh, that is called, um, I can't remember now, um, Photorealistic. I'm going to be using Photorealistic and ChatGPT. And it is going to generate the exact prompt to make the image look awesome for me. All right, there we go. Stealth F14 Tomcat. That's that's what we're going to do. Because it was the first one that came up. Jack Spearco bobblehead. It's not really good at me unless I give it an image of me. Because I'm not important enough that it really knows who I am. <coughs> Chat GPT does, but the image ones don't know who Jack Spearco is. And they do a terrible job at it. But Stealth F14 Tomcat. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring up my screen for you guys that are in the video. And again, I may edit this out so that we can, uh, or I mean, edit, take this piece of video and put it out as a standalone for people if they want to know how to do it. But there's tons of videos on how to do this. So I just thought it'd be cool to see it happen in real time. And I don't know what's going to happen. Not every result is great. But I'm going to switch over to ChatGPT4. I'm going to go down to Plugins. And uh, I'm going to enable a plugin, and you can just, I'm not going to go over how to do this, but I'm going to enable photorealistic. So I'm using photorealistic, and I'm going to say, give me a mid journey prompt or a F14 Tomcat modified as a stealth aircraft. And I'm going to let ChatGPT, along with this plugin, if it'll work. And it, see, now it says it's using photorealistic. 
and it's going to give me two separate prompts. And it is making its own decisions here. The aircraft is painted matte black finish, absorbing the light around it, making it almost blend into the night sky. The style is hyper-realistic with a high level of detail visible in the aircraft's design. And it gives me some other specs, right down to use a Nikon 850 DLSLR camera. And, and I am not guaranteeing you that you're going to like the result here. But I'm going to take that and copy that prompt. I'm going to go over to Discord and share this. And the command on Discord is slash imagine. And that will let me create the, and I'm talking to the mid-journey bot here. And I'm going to drop in that exact prompt. And I have done no real work. I didn't even come up with the idea. And you'll see it says waiting to start. I'm going to come back over to chat GPT. And I'm going to take the second prompt. And I'm going to grab that. And so this is described a different way. And I could ask it for more. We're just going to see what happens here. And that was a mistake because I didn't put in imagine. And we're going to go ahead and prompt it with that. And we're going to see what we get. And so now you're watching that image be generated in real time. It's at 93%. That doesn't look very stealthy to me. It is a cool image, though. And uh, I was expecting something flying. We got the this is the the flying version of it in the second prompt coming up right now. And here we go. Let's take a look at this. Oh, it's not done yet. There we go. And I think if I open the browser, I'll have to bring it over here for you guys. And it's lo it's very high resolution imagery, so it's loading very slow over my tin can internet uh, tethered phone here. But you can see that's some pretty awesome imagery, very realistic looking, and that's using one AI tool to tell another AI tool what to do. And it is things like this that make me feel that this can't be ignored. This is why I've started talking about it. If you look at the time it took me to do that, it's, in my opinion, it's it's pretty freaking impressive. And you might be thinking, well, what what good is doing something like that? Let's take a look at this other one. If it's done yet, it's done. We'll open it in a browser, and we'll share this tab. And that that to me is is pretty impressive. Again, I don't know how this how, how stealthy that is and you might have to play with it and be a little more specific about what you want uh you know or you might say redesign a f-14 to the style of an f-22 or how about combine an f-14 with a with a stealth fighter an f-17 stealth fighter uh, but make it obvious that it's it's parentage is a f-14 you might have to play with that and there's other there's other tools available that I don't want to get into today. And what I've been doing is trying to, I've been trying to learn something new every day that I can do. And I've been trying to learn at least two new tools a week using AI. So I've primarily 
still only working with Midjourney, which is the image tool that works through Discord, and ChatGPT. But what I've been doing is adding these plugins. So, for instance, there is a plugin that will scrape a web page. And you could do something like, oh, I don't know, need to write sales copy for something on Amazon.com. Give it that and say, write me sales copy in my style and voice using American English. And then you wouldn't just put that out. Not if you had integrity, not if you did what I said earlier that I owe you to do, which is always be truthful and always be honest. Uh, one, you might tell your people I did it and I did today for a product that I really do recommend that I really do use here that many of you who have been here have actually used when you're here. Um, and I did rewrite quite a bit of it, but it, I did, I did an hour and a half of work in 15 minutes. And I was talking to Billy Bond recently about this. I was recently on Billy's, uh, Permaculture Pimpcast, and we talked a little bit about AI on the show, but not a lot. But but Billy's really intrigued by this. And when we were done, I hung on and talked to him for like another 20, 25 minutes. We talked about mostly AI, and he's really interested and wants to know my opinions about it and all. And the way he described it, and I, I rather like this description quite a bit, is a gap extender, a gap extender. And I think this is a much better way to understand what AI is and what it can do and, and what it can't do in the modern world. And that is that it is still a tool. And the person who's better at what they're trying to do, who uses the tool, will be better than the person who's not good at what they do trying to use the tool. In other words, I can write really great copy with ChatGPT because I know what to tell it to do and I know how to write well in the first place and I can accept its limitations and just say, well, I'll rewrite that paragraph. I'll change that sentence. I'll eliminate that word. Now I can keep dinking on it and saying, replace this word with that word and stuff. And if it gets to where it really can begin to totally remember what you want from it and it's not there yet. Okay. It's not there yet. I like that comment art by Lee Murphy. We're going to, we're going to talk about that in a second. That's a great comment, even though it's not a question. Um, really great. Anyway, um, or I could just say, hey, like there's a couple things that need to be changed here, copy, paste, and edit. But I think we'll get to a point where it will begin to remember what you want and what you mean when you ask a thing, and it'll get faster and faster. And what Art said was, uh, Art by Lee Murphy said was gap extender or gap bridger. Tom says gap widener. But it could also be, right, a gap narrower. It depends. So what if I'm really good at what I do, but I refuse to use this new technology? And let's say that, that Lee Murphy is actually my competitor instead of being an artist. She's, she is a podcaster in my space. And she says, I'm not as good as Jack when we're both in the raw. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to learn the shit out of AI tools and I'll use them and he won't. And... Um, <laughs> Look at this guy. Unsubscribe, unsubbed. Everything here is yuck. Okay, bye. Bye. 15 years. We didn't need you for 15 years. Don't need you now. It's like lots, lots of fun. Anyway, uh, I just love people like that. Like they just have to tell you they're leaving. It, it, poison. It's poison. I'm sorry that you heard real, real things that you didn't like. Anyway, um, if she uses it and she gets really good at it and her base level is not quite the my base level, but she's using this technology. 
then it becomes a gap narrower and maybe she actually creates a gap, a performance gap above me and actually exceeds my my ability because she's using a tool that I I, I refuse to use for whatever reason. So if you have a bunch of stupid people that don't know anything about fighting a battle and you give them all M16A2s, three-round bursts, right? I know they're... ARs uh, or they uh um they're the carbines now or whatever they back when I was in they gave us A2 somebody used that right it's older tech but it's great tech M16A2 and then you get a bunch of really badass guys okay and you give them Marlin lever action rifles in 44 Magnum yeah and these guys know their shit. And you put them up head to head against each other. The dumbasses are going to get killed with cowboy guns. That's what's going to happen, right? That that's that's what's going to happen. You could give them the most cutting edge small arms, and you could give the trained warfighter freaking handguns, revolvers. They're probably still going to win. The, the, there has to be a significant leap in tech to accommodate stupid and put stupid on an equal level with equal level with skilled. However, if you took people that were, you know, base level trained warfighters and put them against a superior force as far as knowledge and skill set, but you gave them superior you gave the lesser force superior weaponry, they can in fact win. And I think that, again, we have to keep looking at this for what it is. It's a tool. It is not, I hate the term artificial intelligence, except when when you mean it the way I mean it. I think artificial intelligence is a great term. It's fake intelligence. It's not real. When I sit here and talk to chat GPT, and if I have an argument with it, right, if I, you know, or I, I say, you know, tell me a joke or something, and it, it acts like a parrot in its ability to repeat things. It's not actually thinking for itself. It's not making decisions. It's a language-based tool, and there's rules to language, and it's probably not as complicated as we've made it out to be. And we have not created sentience. We have not created a new life form. These, these Terminator fantasies that people have, like our friend that ran away all angry and hopefully the door didn't hit him in the ass on the way out, right? I, it, 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 it's not that. It's a tool. And you can ignore it. But if you're in any way in a competitive space in the world, the people competing with you, they're not going to ignore it. And if you don't think taking your job workload from an hour and 15 minutes to 15 minutes is worth doing... And if you don't think it's worth 10, 15 hours or 20 hours or 40 hours of investing in knowledge one time to have that ability forever, then you don't understand time management. You don't understand business. You don't understand entrepreneurship. You don't understand the value of time. You don't understand the value of money. You don't understand the correlation between the value of time and money. You probably hate Bitcoin, too. You know, there's there is a place for this and there's a lot of abuse that's going to happen. There's tools right now that I can go do a recording, give it a recording of my voice and come back in a day and I can give it text and it will replace me and you won't know it's not me. It'll sound like me. It'll act like me. It'll have my inflection. 
somebody could do it, put out an audio of me saying things that I never said and claim I did, and it would be hard for me to prove it wasn't me. That's horrible, in my opinion. But what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to ignore it because somebody might use it as a weapon against me, or do I need to arm myself? You know, if I find out who did, maybe I make a recording of them admitting that they did it and say, well, which one's the fake? Right? Like, and this is another thing, and this is why I put this in today's show, okay? This is why I put this in today's show. Because it goes back to what I said I owe you as a podcaster, right? What I owe you as a podcaster. And the reason I think if somebody made a, a, a fake of me saying some shit that would be damaging to my brand that I would never say, I think most people that have long-term listeners would go, he didn't say that. If he says he didn't say that, he didn't say that. You know why? Because he says shit that pisses people off all the time, right? He says things that, that anger people all the time. His show's already not as big as it could be if he didn't do that, if he built the bigger tent. So why would he lie now? And so I think in a roundabout way, all this deep fake shit serves to make people more honest and authentic with who they are as they build brand. But yeah, it can be a gap widener. If you're really good and your competition isn't quite as good, you both use it, it will probably actually extend your gap. But it can be a gap narrower, and it can actually be something that overtakes a competitor. And it will be. And, again, there was a law, like, you know, like a business law or something that I, I believe it was Insidious made the comment on years ago. I talked about the 15-year show where he said that, you know, new companies – are always the disruptors because they use everything at their disposable now and legacy companies hold on to their legacy ways and they get outperformed. As long as we let it happen, that's what happens in a free market. And if you, any of you guys are of the belief that we need to do this AI pause on development or something, the government needs to oversee it. You, you've learned nothing from me anyway, in 15 years, you've learned nothing because they touch a thing, they make it worse and they cause new problems. And it's because they cause pr problems because they can. They're given an artificial power that has real-world impact. And they have an authority over other humans that they should not have. And they can, with a stroke of a pen, change reality. And that is a that's a power nobody should have. That's a power nobody should have. Because then there's no check through consequences on their stupidity. Let me ask you, have you ever seen a politician in your adult life in the United States make a terrible decision that hurt people. Have you ever seen that? Put yes in the chat if you've ever seen that. And I'll wait a little bit, and then I'm going to ask a follow-up question. Have you ever, ever, ever seen a politician in the United States of America make a terrible decision that hurt people? And literally everybody that looks at it goes, that was a bad choice, and it hurt people, Okay. Eka Mouse says yes, and I bet there's a bunch more yeses coming. And I know there's a lag, so I'll keep going for the people watching the, 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 the replay. All right. Have you ever seen one of them actually pay a real consequence for it? Like actually be punished for screwing up? Like ever have to actually give restitution to somebody? Like, I mean, just take it down to the level of like a cop. Have you ever seen a cop commit an act that was clearly an act of abuse of authority and hurt somebody or something like that? And unless it was up to the level of murder where maybe maybe that cop went to jail. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like where the person turns around and sues. 
And the court that's part of the state even agrees, yeah, you're due damages. Have you ever seen the cop that committed the, the assault pay out of pocket? Or did he just keep his job and the department's insurance company covered the, the loss? They never pay a consequence for being wrong. And, and that's why we have the problems that we do today. And we're not going to get over that. We're not going to get over that anytime soon. It's not going to happen. There will never be justice there. All you can do is resist and build the best life you can for yourself possible and fortify it at the highest level you can. And so you better use every tool at your disposal. You better use every tool at your disposal because your enemy will and your competition will. I have a lot of competitors that I don't consider enemies, but I have a lot of enemies that I don't consider competitors. I don't consider my government a competitor. I do consider it an enemy. I consider it an enemy because it steals from me. I consider it an enemy because I have no true recourse when it injures me. I, I think that makes something an enemy. I don't think every single component, every single piece of my government is my enemy. I think there's some good people in government. I think they could be doing better things with their time, but I think there's some good people well-intentioned in government. And I think there's some, I think the, the, the most inherently evil people are not in government. They're in the corporatocracy, they're elites, and they use government. Government is their tool. And just understand that just like government is a tool, and government will use the tool that is AI. If you don't use it, you are saying it's okay for somebody to shoot at you with bullets and you're going to fight back with slingshots. It's up to you. All right. Moving on. I want to talk real quick for my anchor segment today about what I call the war on beef. And it's really a war on meat as a whole, but there's nothing that is attacked as hard as beef. And I want to talk about why I feel that is. First of all, I do believe the corporatocracy, the oligarchy and the state are your enemy. They do not have your best interest at heart. They have their goals at heart. They may even have convinced themselves, certainly at certain levels, that their goals are in your best interest. But they don't sit around and go, what's best for the people? That's not what they do. How do we make the most money? How do we expand our control? How do we justify our existence? How do we keep people compliant? How do we make people believe what we say? How do we control messaging? How do we spin things when they're bad? This is what they think about. They don't sit around worrying about making Eka Mouse's or Green Country or Michelle 1776's life better. And if you think they do, you are delusional and you're not paying attention. So right out of the gate, we can just start with this idea that there's a war on meat with an understanding that that doesn't mean that they really have to believe that you would be healthier if you didn't eat meat. What do they want? They want money, power and control, justification of existence and a compliant society. The biggest goal in government is, I'm telling you this, this is going to sound a little conspiratorial, but it's the truth, is to require a license or a permit or a tax payment for every action human beings take. That's just the mind of bureaucracy. And that's because every single place that they don't have control is a variable that they don't control. And it makes their overriding goal harder to obtain. Think of it like, let's take a non-nefarious thing. You're building a building, all right? Any architect will tell you, show me the hole in the ground before, you're, before you start putting in the foundation. I'll tell you how big the building can be, right? The hole in the ground and the foundation that that indicates I will have tells me what I can do with the building. And so the foundation is the most important part. So what would you want in a building? Let's imagine you had a building and the pillars, I'm using a 
Topo Chico uh, sparkling water bottle here. But the pillars in the building to hold the building up had a mind of their own and they could move around. Now, Harry Potter aside, special effects and CGI aside, that's not good if you're an architect. How do I calculate how many pillars I need in the load-bearing nature to hold this building up if the pillar that's supposed to be on the corner can at some point migrate to the center and then out to the center side and then the back? And maybe all the pillars are all going to, like, decide to have a party and get together. You see where that would be a problem? Yeah? that You don't want to be the architect trying to freaking design that building, do you? And I, I wouldn't either. I completely agree. It's a It's a bad thing if you're an architect. That's how they feel about you. Anything that they don't regulate and control, when you go off and do it, especially when lots of people do it, it's a problem for them. I know it sounds like it has nothing to do with the war on meat, but trust me, it does. It's a problem. Now, if we can make sure that all the food you eat is grown in warehouses and perfectly square fields run by robots that can be taxed at every stage of the distribution chain, and they are storable commodities that we can put in a warehouse and decide how much you get and when you get it and give a little bit more out at different times. Ship it anywhere in the world. That's great. Now, if the food I'm feeding you out of that system is highly regulated and controlled and taxed and feed and tariffed and has to be, by its very nature, part of the fiat monetary lending fractional reserve system, there's not a farmer out there that operates out cash money. And having farmed a little bit myself, I understand why. When I invest my money into my farm, I have to I have to deduct most of it as expense across 30 years or more. Roads, ponds, fencing, buildings, even equipment. I don't have to do 30 years to, uh, uh, depreciation on a combine, but I need to do that. It's probably like five to 10 years, depending on what kind of equipment we're talking about. Right. So what does that make me do if I'm a farmer and I need to spend $250,000 to improve my farm this year. I'm going to go borrow the money even if I have it. I'm going to go borrow the money even if I have it. I'm going to use leverage. I'm going to deduct interest payments, etc. Because if I tie my capital up, I don't have it and I can't deduct it. I have a quarter million dollar expense going in and I have an income this year of $100,000 in real income that would have me at a net loss of 150. You see how that works? That I can't use. So everything is designed to funnel into their system. And does it happen with, with ranchers? Yes, but nowhere near to the degree. Now, what if I have that system and as a byproduct, I dumb down people and I give them health problems and then I make drugs and I sell drugs to sick people? There's no profit in a cure. All the profits in treatment. What if I want compliant people? What if I don't want feral men out there that act like men, that stink, that grow hair on their body, right? That lift weights, that eat meat, that act like men, that say hell to the F no when you say you must kneel before whatever group I tell you to today. What if I could feed those people a soy-based, plant-based diet that took those testosterone levels down? Especially if my real agenda is to get a whole bunch of kids before they're even old enough to know what they're doing to cut off the reproductive organs so they'll never reproduce. Right. Right. Then I want to attack the thing that makes people independent and healthy as much as possible. And that is 
high quality, nutrient dense protein and fat. And you have to attack that if you have the goal that they have. And I know that sounds crazy, but look at it and tell me it makes sense. Because what are the what are the vectors of attack? The vectors of attack are as follows. One, red meat specifically, but all meat is bad and causes cancer and heart disease, etc. Okay, everybody that claims that, not a single one of them can produce a definitive scientific study that proves their claim. Not one. That none of them exist. When they do a thing that correlates meat or meat and fat with heart disease or something like that, they never rake the data down to where it's people that primarily or only live on that that they're they're discussing. They're saying the meat caused the problem in a guy that ate a Big Mac every day his whole life, but they're ignoring the French fries, the milkshake, the Coca-Cola, the bread, the shitty tainted vegetables on there. And God knows what else is in there. That's what, but they'll say, but it was the meat. Well, because he ate meat every day and he got sick. Well, yeah, what else did he eat? So there is no scientific evidence that proves in any, and I defy any of you to prove otherwise. You send me a study, you'll read the abstract, I'll go in and actually read the whole study, and I'll point out that the people that they're talking about ate plenty of vegetables and starches and breads and processed foods. You go show me, you show me a study that shows heart disease. Um, or or any of the problem cancer or anything like that from people that eat primarily a meat based diet and avoid all the shit they tell you to eat. Show me one. You can't do it. So that's not true. And anybody who's honest and takes ten minutes to look into it would be able to tell you that's not true. Especially a scientist or a doctor. So that's a lie. So at vector one lie, blatant lie. Two, because of meat farming. The earth is getting warmer. Now we could go in and we could attack the entire CO2 anthropomorphic global warming argument very well. We're not going to. I don't have to. I can just point out that the planet has been covered and teeming with giant ruminants since before human beings were on the planet. And they were never a problem. So they're not a problem now. Okay. And if you're worried about carbon, then I can show you conclusively that a grazing based system is a carbon sink period. And the methane from the farts, right? The methane from the farts have been with us since the dawn of all time. Everything that eats. And by the way, what causes farts and ruminants is the breakdown of vegetative matter. So I am imagining Baronosaurus has had a hell of a fart profile. Okay. I'm just saying, and they didn't fart themselves to death. They got hit with a giant rock from space. And nothing they're going to do is going to stop that. So this ecological complaint is invalid. Now, let's go with the other part of the ecological complaint, though. But all of this is a horrible, horrible pollution creator beyond the CO2 and the methane. Okay, so I will concede that CAFOs are horrible at the amount of of animal waste that they produce in a confined relative small area and dealing with that waste is a pollution problem. I will also state that even if you did it that way, there's, there's a hundred ways to solve that problem that are better than what we're doing right now. Okay. There's a hundred ways to do it. But what I'll point out is we don't have to do it. Why do cows go to CAFOs? Because the same people that tell you not to eat the cow make more money off the cow when it goes to a CAFO. I'm not talking about the farmer. I'm talking about the giant 
meat conglomerates, giant food conglomerates. It's a the one word answer is greed. Cows go to CAFOs because greed. If the farmer holds the cow a little bit longer, raises the cow all on pasture, sells the cow, the farmer gets more money. But we've devised the system that forces farmers and ranchers into a commodity-based system, and we're correcting that right now. But even with the CAFO, if we compare, what does the footprint of a guy that's farming a thousand head of cattle for harvest every cycle, right? A thousand head. So it's more than a thousand cows, but he's coming out. He's selling a thousand animals worth of meat into the market a year with somebody that farms whatever amount it is that that, that thousand head need. Call it a couple thousand acres because you got to feed mom and dads, right? Two thousand acres. And you compare it to somebody that's doing two thousand acres of corn and bean and soy, et cetera. And you say, who's having a larger um, footprint of total pollution? The, the row cropper loses every time. Every time. The amount of pesticides, herbicides, fossil fuel, all of it. So it's a lie. And it's a demonstrably provable lie in minutes. And I could keep going. But there's your two primary vectors of attack, right? It's going to make you sick, lie. It's bad for the environment. Lie. So you know they know they're lying. You know that they know that we know that they're lying. Okay? When I say we, I mean us. I mean this group right here, right now. Yeah? We know that they're lying, and they know that we know that they're lying, and they know that we know that they know we know they're lying. Channel a little, channeling a little Chandler Bing from Friends there, right? The messers have become the messies, right? They know this, but they keep doing it. And who does it work on best? The people that have spent the most time in their system of education. They believe it. They believe it. And then if you turn around, and I mentioned there's a there's a docu-series that Ken Berry was just part of, and it's okay. Ken was the best thing in it, no doubt. There's a lot of a lot of it is kind of like watching other people in group therapy. And so there was and Ken and I have talked and he's Glad to do as part of the project and all, but he'd like to do something on his own someday. And maybe we can help him do that at some point where you actually see more about the progress. But what's fascinating in this series is the last episode. And you see people after they left because they were only in this place together for like eight days. And I think that's that's the issue that I have. I would like to get people that really need their health improved in one place and not let them escape for 90 days. Like you can leave. You have to sign a contract that says I'm getting out. Right. Like. I want you to be able to, to be part of that for 90 days, eating mostly meat and almost no carbs. And some of these people did when they went home. And there's one lady in particular. They made a point like she had really bad type 2 diabetes. I mean, her A1C was like a 13. I don't know how you're not dead with an A1C of 13. And she's almost completely out of the woods of being a uh, type 2 diabetic now. She's still just barely over. This is like six months after entering this program. But they said, well, she's not obese. She's not fat. She doesn't really need to lose weight. And when I looked at her, I said to my wife, well, she's attractive. She's not obese, but she's definitely carrying fat that she doesn't need to be carrying. And it's probably why she has this problem. Right? So she went full carnivore and went home. She definitely looked thinner. 
and healthy thinner. But what really kind of blows you away was her complexion, her skin, her energy level. Her, just her overall vibrance went through the roof to an insane level. To if there was a surgery, if there was a, a painful and expensive surgery that could take a person and do that transformation to them, every celebrity in Hollywood by the time they hit their 40s would have it. And there would be people saving up to have that surgery. You don't have to have surgery. Just don't eat garbage. That's all there is to it. Just don't eat garbage. And I'm telling you, I've seen a lot of people that claim that they're healthy, that are on these, you know, standard American diet, calorically restricted. They don't look like that. They don't experience the transformation. And so in the end, you do whatever you want to do. I have never told anybody, if you don't do if you don't eat the way I say, you're wrong. But if, if you want my advice on eating for optimum health, you should be carnivore, ketovore, farthest out would be you know, a standard clean keto diet. And it will radically change your life for the better. And that's why they don't want you to do it. And that's why they're attacking it tooth and nail at every level all along the way. And they're always using lies. When you are attacking a position and you know you're wrong, you have to lie. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that for a second. You're attacking a position and you know you're wrong. How can you do anything to successfully attack that position that's not a lie? And then, you know, there's the lie of stupidity or the lie of intent, I guess. Right. So the lie of stupidity would be you really believe you're telling the truth. And don't get me wrong. I think there's a lot of patsies in this doctors, teachers, media personalities all over the place, influencers, et cetera. They believe what they're saying is the truth. It's still a lie. When you unknowingly tell a lie, you're still lying. You're just not intentionally lying. You're lying due to your own ineptitude. You haven't done enough research. You don't know what you're talking about. I, I do this with the climate control people all the time. I did my research. Really? I talk to an expert. I know why I believe what I believe. You do. You're sure. Yeah. You know what the IPCC is? And assuming they do, which is the the body of, of the UN that oversees all this shit, right? So assuming they do, that we've gotten that far, that well, their climate model that all of this is based on says there's four primary feedbacks that work CO2 is the catalyst. And these four primary feedbacks are actually the things that warm the, the planet and cause climate change. What are the four feedbacks? They never know. They never know what the four. So you can't have done your research. You can't know what you're talking about. So that's why I still consider it a lie, because if you're going to go out and blatantly make a claim, you should be able to actually answer the most basic things about it when you say you've done your research. So even if they weren't lying, if you want to be technical and say it's not a lie because they didn't know when they said they did their research, when they said it was based on fact, when they said it was based on information that was viable, they lied about that. Because you can only give so much so much of a pass for stupid. So if someone has taken a position counter to the position of another party. And the person they've taken the position of is telling the truth and, and they're, they still want to go against that. You have to use lies. You have to use lies. And that's what they do. That's what they do. And they will never stop doing it because their goal, again, isn't to make you healthy. It isn't to save the planet. 
It's to have control. It's to have power. It's to have money. And, and understand that people quest after each of those. And then the, the, the true sociopaths of the world, the true psychopaths, assemble those people based on what they want. Because that person is, they want it all. They want it all. So they, they figure out the person who's addicted to power and they put them into political positions. And they leverage that with, if you want your power to keep growing, you need to do what we want. They take the person that wants money and they put them into elevated elite income opportunities. And they say, hey, you want to keep going the right direction? You're going to need to do what we want. And this is why you see people in our government, senators, like Diane Feinstein, literally looks like she's ready to fall over and die now. Multi, multi-millionaire, worth several hundred million dollars. Has a stroke. Blames, says it's something else. It was, it was a stroke. You look at her, you know what a stroke looks like. Goes back to work. Why? Power addiction. If you think that only substances can be addictive, you don't understand addiction. And the longer a person is in their addiction, the more addicted they become. So this is all about the leverage of those addicted to power, those addicted to money, and those addicted to control. And understand, power and control are not quite the same. They're not quite the same. The controllers are the ones that leverage power and money to their own ends. They want power and money only for the purpose of control. They're the chess masters. And you, eating a proper human diet and having optimum health and being able to think clearly and understand that they're lying to you, is intrinsically dangerous to them. And this is what you really need to understand about all of this. If it's the fact that you figure out that they lied about meat, they lied about its environmental impact and its health impact, then what else did they lie about? And it doesn't matter if it's meat. Why do you think they got so aggressive during the COVIDs? Well, if they figured, if, if we don't quash this, think of how dangerous it is to our system of control. This is why they attack people so violently. This is why they censor people so hard. When a, any individual breaks through this programming in any one niche, it is only a matter of time before they realize the whole thing's a facade. The whole thing's a lie. Every Damn stinking bit of it. But I think the place that we have the most opportunity to impact people in the real world right now, to wake up minds, to be Morpheus to the next Neo, right, is diet. And there's, there's something about that that really is unique to it. When we start talking about climate change, like there's so much theory. You can't go look and actually see that they're lying. But you can look at a person that was 400 pounds, that ate ribeye and brisket every day for the last two years, and they look better, and they're thin, and they're in shape, and you can look at their lab numbers. It's, it's, it's not something you can have an argument about, is it? It's why permaculture is powerful, too. You could say it doesn't work, but when I show you a squash bigger than my leg, you, you kind of have to go, well, wait a minute, maybe it does work. When I take a desert ecosystem and turn it into a paradise. You, 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 you can't say it didn't work. You can't say it's not a thing. And I think that's why the, our vector of attack really should be diet. It's, 
if you get someone to fix their diet, everything else begins to come in alignment. Everything else becomes a common alignment and you break through the bullshit. Boss man says, what are my thoughts on meat rabbits? I like them. If you want meat rabbits, go get meat rabbits. I don't raise meat rabbits because I'm the only one that would eat them. And, uh, I have nothing negative to say about rabbit meat. And I don't believe that anybody's ever going to die from eating too many rabbits and get, you know, protein poison. It's all nonsensical bullshit. If anybody ever tells you that, don't listen to that person anymore. All right. Uh, John Rice says, how can I make dog food with a crock pot or do I need a fresh sugar? You throw the food you want the dog to eat in the crock pot. And you turn it on until it's soft enough to pull it. and You feed it to the dog. You you make food with a crock pot for a dog the same way you'd make it for a human if you want to cook food for a dog. I don't think you'll be able to get like, let's say, chicken bones down to that eatable state with a crock pot because we tried it and it didn't work. We just actually ordered a new huge crock pot bigger than the not a crock pot, a new pressure cooker. Uh, bigger than the, the carry that we recommend for electric canning, and uh, we'll give that a whirl. And if it passes, we'll get it up on T-SPAS. Uh, another way you could do this is if you get a big enough grinder, you can take things like chicken bones and all and put it straight through. And we're actually thinking about doing that because we get used out of the grinder. I have a really great grinder. It's about a $150 grinder, but it's it's not going to do that efficiently. Uh, but something like a one-and-a-half horsepower Cabela's Carnivore, I might just be the excuse that I need to go ahead and buy it. Uh, HC Good says already a bunch of drone track being used for spraying, et cetera, with special cameras and LIDAR. Yeah. Uh, there's also drones, whether they're aerial drones or on the ground drones, that go into a field and spot apply minute amounts of weed killer like glyphosate, a.k.a. Roundup. And you might think, I think that's just terrible. Um, it's a lot less bad. It's a lot less bad. So this little drone, it drives around, and it, it just sees a little green thing coming up, right? And it just goes squirt. There's drones that literally use lasers to kill an insect. Now, there's a laser that, if, I mean, if it got you in the, dead in your eye, it could be damaging, but it's a laser that if they pointed at your arm for a couple seconds, it wouldn't even know it was there. You're not a bug. It doesn't take anywhere near as much energy to kill a bug. So they have basically lasers that know how to identify a pest insect and shoot it like Star Wars, on a micro scale. Like it's, it's pretty amazing what is already being done. K bonk says nice to be in a room of thinking people. Hi all that was in all caps. I guess it wasn't a question. Um, K bonk says if they ban petrochemicals, how will they make plastic? They're not going to ban petrochemicals. It's all bullshit. It's kind of my whole last segment with, with the, the, the meat, all this stuff they say they're going to ban. They're not going to ban. They're not going to ban gas cars. They're not going to ban gas stoves. They're going to regulate it and tax it because it's more money and power and control. They'll always go to the extreme to get what they want. The state and the left in particular excels at incrementalism. So you have to understand that most of the psyops are designed to do only a few things, right? It's not like each psyop is we have to come up with a whole new idea. There's just a playbook, and we pick one of a couple of plays. One is to make us hate each other, to create a divide and make us hate each other and take sides. If you can do that, you can pretty much get away with anything you want because there's no unified front against you. So they want to make us hate each other. When it comes to the right, they want to scare the right with the left. So this is an extension of that first play in the book. So you might get the right on board with regulating AI, by convincing them that, you know, the leftists are going to put a chip in your brain and control you with it. 
or it's going to be Terminator or something, you know. With the left, all you have to do with the left is tell them that they, they'll be better off if the government does this thing. The left is incredible. And when I talk about the left, I'm talking about leftist individuals, not politicians, not oligarchs. I'm talking about voters, right? It's incredibly easy to manipulate the left. Your life will be better and you'll have more money because we'll give it to you. We'll take it from the greedy people and give it to you. Or if we don't do this, those people will do something bad and we will all die. Right. It's the same play over and over and over again. And a lot of things that they say they're going to ban or get rid of or further control. No, they're not. How are you going to have a world where you can feed everybody soy and crickets without chemicals, without fossil fuels? Not happening. Not happening. Jason, uh, I, I thank you when you did it, but I just. It automatically stars when I get a super chat, and I just want to say thank you again for a fifty dollars super chat. That was really awesome. Thank you, boss man. That's thoughts on meat rabbits. I already did that one. Yes, many times. Uh, K Monk, love to see another Adam Curry interview. Just saying, I would have Adam back on the show anytime he wanted to come on. Jack, few public people dare to post their ethos and follow it. I wish more did. You want my secret to success? You know, I I I, I talked about fifteen years behind the mic on Friday last week or Thursday last week, whichever day it was. Um, that's it. Do what you say and say what you do and say what you do before you do it. That way you build a track record of always doing what you say and never, ever violate it. And when you make a mistake, admit it. It's so simple, but I will tell you that, I will tell you that <laughs> I'm reading the next comment. Most of the people can't do it out of either fear or their own level of control or fear of loss. So no one in the media, no one in the media can be honest with you. And those who are even close to being honest with you get thrown out, Tucker Carlson. And he's still, he was still a mouthpiece for authority. But he tried to be true to himself, and it got him slaughtered. And he slaughtered as an example to anybody that would dare think about doing it. Uh, the fourth Wiseman. Yeah, anybody that calls himself that is probably not wise. This is the guy. He was all upset about the chat GPT stuff. He said, this is exactly why America's economy is crap. Chat GTP battle. I'm sure he's gone now, but do you realize how dumb that is? So was our economy really great? Compared to where it is today, 10 years ago, the answer is no. Were we not in all the economic problems that are rooted in our financial system on the same? Like, would we not be where we are with the debt, the deficit, inflation, if chat GPT just went away? Right. This is this is a person doing to himself what government does to people. He's creating a false enemy and then railing against it. And he says, I am an agenda war promoter. Where am I an agenda war promoter? What does that even mean? What is an agenda war? Agenda war promoter. Uh, I think somebody has personal problems. Um, I think it's stealth in paint, not geometry. That was the F-14 that we made uh, from K-Bonk. Bossman says giant grasshopper taking over the world. Oh, that was for, that's actually a pretty cool idea. Maybe we'll do that at another time. Justin says, 
uh, it is interesting how you can see all the different parts of Jets and the prompt that spits out is so cool. Thanks, Jack. Uh, okay, not really a question, but uh, I'm trying out Chat GPT from Chicken Duck 1776 in an HVAC application right now. I'm actually surprised that it got some questions right, stuff that programmers are only just getting in tune with. Let me tell you some of the other stuff you can do with this. Um, I might do a show on it soon so that the fourth Wiseman can get even more upset. But let's say that somebody sent you a legal document and you don't completely understand it. You can literally drop that legal document in a chat GPT and say, explain this to me in plain English. And if you don't under, still understand a specific spot, you can cut and paste that one specific spot and say, explain this to me like I'm a fifth grader. That would just be one thing that you can do. You can act it, ask it to act as a physics professor or act it to act as a lawyer, et cetera. And now I would not sanity check that against something else, but it's an incredible leverage tool uh, that some people just aren't ready for. So you, what it makes me think of, there's this, there's this cartoon meme, and it's a Bitcoin meme, but it doesn't have to be. And the first frame in it is like a bunch of guys standing back yelling at somebody that's building a fire because the fire is dangerous. And then the next frame is like a bunch of guys yelling at somebody building a, a wheel, out, like carving a wheel out of stone because they're afraid of the wheel because it's new. And then there's the next frame is like a bunch of guys yelling at somebody building a car. Because the car is dangerous, right? And then the next one is Bitcoin, and it's a bunch of bankers yelling at the guy, you know, mining Bitcoin or whatever. It's the same shit over and over again. People fear new things, and they're convinced that anybody who dares to disagree with them is the enemy. And, dude, I know that guy's been around a while. You've learned nothing. You've learned nothing. Uh, Eek says... Pandora is already out of her confinement. That's that's the way I look at AI. It's not going away. I can pretend it's not there, right? It, it doesn't matter. It's not going to go away. Um, Liberty Garden said, how different is the Tesla from the VW of World War II? Small, utilitarian, and government subsidized. It's still a lot different. Have you ever driven a World War II-era VW bug? <laughs> um the Tesla is an impressive piece of technology. Yeah, it uses government subsidies. So does every single thing that's ever been built by any any car manufacturer in the last 70 years, by the way. Uh, Nurse Wang says, I have a T-Spaz grinder model up, and it grinds chicken bone no problem. Really? I'm going to have to try that. I wonder how long it would take to put 20 pounds of leg quarters through it, though. I'm going to give that a shot. And you're saying leg quarters, if you're still around, Nurse Wang, let me know exactly what you're grinding up. Rachel says, because Jack is a jerk, I have biochar for my garden. That's good to hear. Anyway, let's wrap up. Uh, went long today. I'm not sure how long I was offline uh, with um, with the uh, outage that we had that threw me off for the day. But I wanted to real quick talk to you about the item of the day. And this I absolutely use because I think it's it's only right that I tell you this. I absolutely used uh, Chat GPT, Chat GPT, with a lot of help from me to write the write up for today's item of the day. But it's an item that I should have had on TSPAS a long time ago. It's our portable power, uh, portable sh outdoor shower setup, and uh, it is composed of two things. It's the tent which is the picture you're seeing on your screen right now. And this product by a company called Gasland that is an on-demand hot water heater 
with a shower nozzle attached to it. So you hook up a hose to it. You hook up a um, grill-sized uh, propane tank, and then you put a couple D batteries in it, and you have instant hot water. And I think that the claims on the temperature are a little bit exaggerated, but when it's cold out here in the winter with water coming out of the ground at about 60 degrees, nobody's ever said the water wasn't warm enough. Now, I know some of you gals like to take showers that, like, burns your skin off or whatever, but uh, it's certainly warm enough. And it, it's it's a little bit hot, honestly, in my opinion. Um, but they just work, and we've been using them for a long time. And I can't have an event here with 70 people and let, you know, 30 people a day into my house to use my shower inside. Like, I'll just flood out my septic system if I do that. So we went to these. We use these tents, and then we use the uh, gas line heater. You can read the write-up. And there's nothing in there I wouldn't have said myself. ChatGPT just made it faster. And I found this dude's review, even though it's not me, on YouTube of the product. And it shows it out of the box and everything. And he did a really good job with the review, even though he's kind of a weirdo in a good way. Um, and so I included that in the write-up. But I definitely recommend this. And, you know, one of the things about it is this thing works so good. Many of you all know J.R. Haley. He was on the expert council for a while. I think he's just too busy to do it anymore. Um, but he comes here every year, a few days before the workshop. We put him up. He stays with us. We drink a lot together, probably more than we should. And we get everything ready for the workshop, all the setup work. So he's the one that actually sets these up. We have two of them. And after using it and setting it up, he liked it so much, he went home and bought one. And he's doing kind of like a, a barn conversion for his, his house on uh, uh, his family's homestead. Uh, of an Oklahoma. That is his, that is his primary uh, shower. That's what he uses. Not the tent, uh, but that, that gasoline uh, shower. That's what he takes a shower with every day when he's home, when he's not on the road. And so it is that good. You could use it in an off grid situation. It only needs about three and a half PSI of water pressure. So if you had a gravity pressure feed water tank, that had, you know, four pounds of pressure. It's all you need to operate. You do need some pressure. There's not a tank in it that you can just fill up and, and use it or something like that. Uh, it has to have some pressure going in for pressure coming out. And it's just a great piece of equipment. The reason that I brought it around today is somebody over the weekend said, hey, you guys mentioned you have a shower like this. What do you what do you have? And I thought usually when somebody makes a question like that, I just send them a link uh, to my website. And I'm like, I never wrote that up. That's crazy. I need to get that on there. So uh, even though I was time crunched today, using the AI tool, I was able to get that out. Again, 15 minutes instead of an hour and 15 minutes that I didn't have. It's a force multiplier. It's a tool. It's as good as you are with the tool. Saying I won't use it is like saying, you know, I'm not going to use a chainsaw. I'm not going to use a chainsaw. An, a, double, a double axe is good enough for great grandpa. Only fools use chainsaws. You can cut yourself with those. They make a lot of noise. The enemy will find you if you use a chainsaw. It's up to you, man. You can go you know, defend yourself with a recurve, and I'll use a semi-auto rifle. It's up to you what you want to do. Anyway, um, K-Bonk says real quick, which grinder model? Uh, K-Bonk, if you go to the survivalpodcast.com and search for grinder, you'll find it. In fact, why don't we do that real quick before we wrap up? Just show everybody how you do this. So if you were on the website, you wanted to know what grinder does uh, – Jack recommend. And you might find some other articles or something 
Um, but all you, that's right there. The STX 3000 Turbo Force Meat Grinder. That's the, if she has the one, or if he has the one off my website, it's that grinder right there. I'll give it a shot. We'll see how it works out. But dang it. I, I, I really wanted to, uh, to give myself justification to buy the big badass Cabela's Carnivore Grinder. Anyway, guys, hope you enjoyed today's show. I'll be back tomorrow with a, another episode. And uh, I'm not sure what we're going to do yet. Have a great interview set up Wednesday. Typical week this week. We are on our regular scheduled programming. I'll catch you tomorrow with another episode. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. Show you a better way